This video is brought to you by Squarespace. New York City is the pinnacle example of American development, and being the most populated city in the United States, it requires a tremendous amount of infrastructure. Chief amongst the most important of these systems is its waterworks, which has a long and complex past. Today we discover a fascinating tale of underground piping, aqueducts, and forgotten tanks. This is the history of New York's waterworks. I'm your host, Ryan Sokesh, and you're watching It's History. Let's start off at the beginning. At the time of New York's city founding in the 1600s, the city was known as New Amsterdam and located on the southernmost tip of Manhattan. Water collection was rather primitive here, coming from wells, ponds, and rivers. At this time, its water came primarily from the Kelchhook Pond, also known as Collect Pond. It no longer exists as the city's growth necessitated its filling. From Collect Pond, citizens collected whatever water they needed in buckets, taking them back to their home. Other water collection methods included private wells from which more fortunate citizens drew water. Although these types of wells were much less common, the primary method of collection came from open water sources. However, as time moved onward, the city became increasingly populated. As more people came in, the older collection methods became less and less efficient. There was simply too many people for the lakes, rivers, and wells to supply. As this continued, another problem came up, that of wastewater. Considering that more people means more waste, human waste, or trash, one may wonder how the people of this developing city disposed of unwanted materials. Well, in the early days of America, the answer was the same across all of the smaller settlements, be it New York or Chicago. You throw it in the water if you don't want it. Well, the river's flow took away smaller amounts of waste. The waterways quickly became polluted with the sheer amount of garbage finding its way in. Even more startling was the pollution of wells, as the contaminated river water seeped into the groundwater. The Hudson and the East River's salt water found its way into these wells this way, making the water unfit for human consumption. The city also wouldn't have indoor plumbing until the late 19th century. Until then, outhouses and chamber pots were the typical method of waste collection. Outhouses were toilets located outside the building that linked directly to a cesspit. Chamber pots were pots used as temporary toilets in bedrooms until the morning came, at which point they would be emptied either into the outhouse or the nearest waterway, further contaminating them. By the early 1700s, Manhattan was devoid of safe and clean drinking water. As a result, the city began hauling water from Brooklyn into Manhattan. The drinking water problem remained a primary concern of the young town, but this made dealing with it much easier. Brooklyn's fresh groundwater seeded much of the city's needs, but it was simply not enough. There were already too many people living in an area to keep supplied. Without a proper water supply, a city will quickly find itself inundated with problems. 
one of the more threatening problems is fire. New York City didn't have enough water to quench its people's thirst, let alone the flames of a burning building. Fires rapidly burned out of control in these early days. In the same year that the Founding Fathers issued the Declaration of Independence, the people suffered the Great Fire of New York City, where on September the 21st, 1776, a quarter of the city's buildings burnt to the ground. Another major issue the city faced was frequent epidemics, as any younger municipality without an efficient water supply would meet. Chief among these diseases was cholera, a waterborne illness that played havoc on the nation's largest cities. Conditions for the disease could not have been more perfect, and it killed scores of New Yorkers. For example, in 1832, New York City suffered a cholera epidemic that killed 3,500 people, with the primary culprit being contaminated water. That's not to say the state legislature was sitting on its hands for 60 years. In 1799, with the nation finally on relatively stable footing, it gave the right to supply water to New York City to the newly formed Manhattan Company, headed by Aaron Byrne, the same man that would eventually kill Alexander Hamilton in a duel. The company sunk more wells at Collect Pond rather than bringing in water from outside of Manhattan, as was initially intended. They stored the water at a reservoir at Chambers Street and distributed the water through wooden pipes. The company's surplus went towards founding a bank, nowadays known as Chase Manhattan. Considering for the fact that the Manhattan Company seemed more interested in the bank project than the purpose it existed to serve, it's a small wonder they did a poor job of supplying water. The shoddy state of the water supply led to more fires and epidemics. By the late 1820s, the city leaders decided that the current state of affairs could no longer continue. With all these issues plaguing the city, there had to be a way to get a good water supply connected to New York. And one of the first places designers looked to solve the problem was history. There had been several places in which one could find cities that were much less fortunate for running water, yet ancient civilizations still made them into beautiful cities. For example, ancient Rome quite literally invented plumbing as plumbing. It is from the Latin word for lead. Plum, plumbum? Plumbum, okay. Lay off me in the comment sections about that mess up, guys. Let's move on. While the Romans were not aware of the health side effects of lead plumbing, they did know how to get water to places where it was needed. The Romans constructed sewers, faucets, and even functional toilets. But most prevalent to New York at the time was the aqueduct. This construction feat brought water from a distant source towards a location that the source would serve better. Taking inspiration from these old designs, Major David D. Douglas began planning an ambitious new public works project. He laid out plans for the route, structures, and its hydraulic principles, while his successor, John B. Jervis, finished the design for what would become the Croton Aqueduct in 1836. Work began on the aqueduct in 1837, performed mainly by Irish immigrants, not unlike the Erie Canal. The majority of this majestic structure is a brick tunnel in the shape of a horseshoe, 8.5 feet high by 7.5 feet wide. The tunnel sits on a stone foundation with a cover of earth supporting its stone embankment walls. As in the Roman model, the tube is gravity-fed, dropping 13 inches every mile. With that extremely specific guide, its builders had to maintain that 
perfect gradient through all kinds of terrain. As a result, it was cut into the hillside, tunneled through rock, carried over valleys and streams by massive bridges while maintaining that perfect 13-inch-per-mile incline on its way from the Croton River to Manhattan. While the tunnel opened to the air, the workers covered it with dirt, shielding it from the wrath of nature by burying it. Water from the river first entered the tunnel at 5 a.m. on June the 22nd, 1842. Following the water, a boat called the Croton Maid traveled shortly behind it, its crew making sure it completed its path successfully. By 3 a.m. the next day, the vessel entered the Harlem River, completing its journey in 22 hours. Now that the aqueduct was functional, it filled up two massive above-ground reservoirs located where the Great Lawn and Central Park and the Fifth Avenue New York Public Library currently are. As a result of this enormous engineering feat, the Croton Water Celebration was held. On October the 14th, 1842, in New York City, a seven-mile-long parade took place. Several songs were written and performed, and enormous jets of water shot 50 feet into the air at the Croton Fountain. Finally, clean and pure. You won't believe how this innovation changed the city forever. In a way, it reminds me of how Squarespace changed web design forever, which definitely means that this is a good moment for a word from our sponsor. This video is brought to you by Squarespace, a fantastic service that makes the creation of a web page as easy as a concept, followed by a few clicks of a mouse. In fact, over the past few years, I have been using Squarespace instead of social media. So let me show you what I enjoy about this service. First off are the blogging tools, which are fantastic and support a configurable share button, letting your visitors share content around the web. For me, Squarespace's blogging tools have replaced Instagram as their easy to use features allow me to share my experience in a more noble, gallery-like environment. I've also gained powerful insights into who's visiting my site, as well as how they're interacting with in-depth website analytic tools, including page views, traffic sources, time on site, most read content, audience geography, and more. I'm also considering using the Squarespace members area for our history council group, as this service connects the audience with gated members-only content, where creators can manage members, send email communications, and leverage audience insights, all on one easy-to-use platform. So head over to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, Go to squarespace.com slash its history to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Now that the Croton Aqueduct was complete, clean water was finally generally accessible to the city. Running water for drinking and bathing was now not exclusive to the richest of New York City's residents. The general public had access to this as well, but only thanks to the ingenuity of the aqueduct. And one of the direct ramifications of the success is that New York, finally, with its water supply, could accommodate a massive population influx. In many ways, making the city what we know it to be today. And that's not to mention all of the new functions that the city could implement now with its constant water supply. As the city expanded, both new and old areas had installations of sewers, flush toilets, and faucets. The city was entering the cutting edge of water technology, and demand was only increasing, especially with the merger of Brooklyn, Queens, Staten Island, the Bronx, 
and Manhattan into one city in 1898. And a dark reality set in when the need for water increased beyond the aqueduct's limits. The city saw these challenges coming and in 1885, construction of the new Croton Aqueduct, another structure three times the size of the old aqueduct running roughly parallel to it, began. Opening in 1910, the two aqueducts supplied the new megacity with all the water it needed. Most residents believed that the water supply issues were solved once and for all. With the foundation of the Board of Water Supply in 1905, New York City continued to bring in all the water it needed. Thanks to legislation passed by the city around the turn of the century, the board purchased watershed land in the Catskill Mountains, allowing it to create more reservoirs by damming waterways. However, many villages had to completely relocate to make these reservoirs, as the old locations would entirely flood to create the new water pools. Regardless of the hurdles, the Catskill Reservoir system went into service in 1927, and another reservoir of greater note followed within the next 40 years. But all of these achievements pale in comparison to this final implementation of New York's water supply. By the 1930s, water needs began to strike the city again. But grand designs were already in motion. Construction started on the Delaware system in 1937, and work continued quickly, especially on the Delaware Aqueduct. By 1939, the tunnel nearest to the city was ready for concrete, and all 85 miles of tunnel excavation were completed by 1942. This was, and still remains, the longest tunnel in the world. However, progress slowed significantly with the surprise attack on Pearl Harbor and the United States entering World War II in December of 1941. With the War Production Board's program, the Board of Water Supply couldn't acquire the equipment and material necessary to complete the tunnel. However, progress increased when concern about the potential destruction of the Catskill Aqueduct by Axis bombing assaults or sabotage surfaced, forcing the aqueduct's completion to the absolute forefront of the Board of Water Supply's priorities. Emergency tunnels came into effect throughout World War II, but construction on the Delaware Aqueduct halted in 1944 as the war efforts reached their climax. And with the Atomic Age's baptism in nuclear fire and the end of World War II, construction on the Delaware system resumed within months. Construction sped along rapidly with the completion of the entire system, aqueduct, reservoirs, and all occurring in 1965 being the largest tunnel in the world, the Delaware Aqueduct supplied New York City with much more water than the previous solutions. This aqueduct supplies the city with around half of its drinking water to this very day. That brings us to the modern moment. The three systems, Croton, Catskill, and Delaware collectively have a watershed of 2,000 square miles, roughly the size of the entire state of Delaware, with a collective storage capacity of 550 billion gallons. It's safe to say that New York is in a much better situation than it was during its founding. And in many ways, it's still remarkably similar to the historic examples we spoke about previously. 97% of the city's water reaches its destination using gravity only, with the other 3% needing pumps to reach the final destination. Water health remains a concern, 
and chlorine added into the system in low doses clears any bacteria. The system also adds fluoride to prevent tooth decay. The croton system contains 12 reservoirs and three controlled lakes, with the croton reservoir having an impressive maximum of 19 billion gallons of water. Catskill has two reservoirs and supplies 40% of the city's total water use. The Delaware has four reservoirs, largest of which has a maximum of 140 billion gallons of water. Whenever I visit a major global city, I'm amazed that the water runs out of the tap. When you imagine how many sinks, pools, and toilets are in a city like New York, it becomes difficult to even imagine how many resources go into fueling life there. This is civilization in a nutshell, because without our creative ability to sculpt the land in triumphant ways, the 8.4 million people who call themselves New Yorkers wouldn't even need to worry about water, because their city would not exist in the first place. And on a lighter note, let me know in the comments section, is it aqueduct or aqueduct? Check out our New York City playlist, subscribe to its history, and as the YouTubers say, smash the bell. This is Ryan Sokash, signing off.